The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Across the Airways, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions on the entertainment industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, because with me is a guy who I just cannot believe has put up with me for 200 episodes of this show. My co-host. Hey everybody, it's Nico and welcome to Across the Airways. On this week's episode, we continue the spring 2017 TV season with the Doctor Who season 10 penultimate episode, World Enough and Time, and some news with Nico entertainment news. So before we kick off the Doctor Who penultimate episode review, we'll start things off with the News with Nico section. Ron Howard will take over directing Star Wars Han Solo film. It's official. Ron Howard is trading in the Apollo 11 for the Millennium Falcon. Just two days after director Phil Lord and Christopher Miller were suddenly dropped from the Han Solo anthology Star Wars spinoff film, Variety is reporting that Howard will officially take over directing duties for the remainder of the film's shooting schedule. Lord and Miller originally signed on to direct the Han Solo film in July 2015, but recently shocked fans by leaving the project midstream, citing creative differences with Lucasfilm producers. Almost Immediately, Ron Howard emerged as the frontrunner to replace them, possibly because he has a history of being considered for Star Wars movies in the past. He most famously turned down directing Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, when George Lucas considered offering him the job. The film is reportedly three-quarters of the way done and only has three weeks left of shooting, as well as five weeks of pre-scheduled reshoots. It's unclear, however, how much of what Lord and Miller filmed will actually make it into the final product, or how they and Howard will be credited for their efforts. I'm personally a huge fan of Ron Howard as a director, and this is the best possible resolution for this unfortunate situation. Game of Thrones' new Season 7 trailer is all about winter is here. When the snow falls and the white winds blow, the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. That's what Sansa Stark says at the end of the second full trailer for Game of Thrones Season 7, which hit the internet on Wednesday. It's about togetherness between Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen, most significantly, but also everyone living against the army of the dead coming from beyond the wall. It's a great trailer that promises epic action, so many battle shots, I mean, seriously, and definitely some high drama. Winter is here and it's bringing big things with it. Game of Thrones Season 7 premieres Sunday, July 16th at 9, 8 central on HBO. It will consist of seven episodes, including the series' longest one yet. Can't wait for this in uh, just under three weeks. Why Han Solo director Lord and Miller were really fired. As mentioned earlier in the News with Nico section, Star Wars fans received a massive shock earlier this week when Han Solo directors Phil Lord and Chris Miller were suddenly fired by Lucasfilm just a few weeks before the film was supposed to wrap. Make no mistake, it is a very rare event for Hollywood directors to be removed during principal photography of a blockbuster movie. But apparently the issue that Lord and Miller had with their bosses finally came to a head and there's no turning back now. It's important to remember that Lord and Miller have a very comedic sensibility that made the Lego movie and 21 Jump Street into hits, and yet the early reports indicate that Lucasfilm pushed back when they attempted to make Han Solo funnier and allow the script to be improvised on set. According to a report on SlashFilm.com, it sounds like there was a culture clash between the directors and Lucasfilm from day one. It finally came to a head when Lord and Miller refused to compromise on their vision of the film, but even they may have been surprised by their swift dismissal. That allowed for Ron Howard to swoop in and potentially save the day. There may not be 
much of Lord and Miller's work left when Han Solo finally hits theaters, but I'm hopeful that they don't completely scrap everything. This is such an unusual situation, but I hope it works out because I am super excited about the Han Solo prequel story. Damon Lindelof circling Watchmen series at HBO. Damon Lindelof may not be making such a sudden departure from HBO now that The Leftovers is finished. The Lost Vet is in talks to shepherd the premium cable channel's long-gestating Watchmen TV series. Lindelof would replace Zack Snyder, who directed the 2009 DC Comics-inspired movie and had been eyed to develop the TV adaptation. The news comes just two weeks after Lindelof's acclaimed HBO drama The Leftovers concluded its three-season run. HBO declined to comment. Sherlock and Doctor Who showrunner Stephen Moffat creating new Dracula show. Sherlock may be over for now, but Stephen Moffat and Mark Gaddis are reuniting for another literary classic with a brand new Dracula series. Moffat and Gaddis are slated to co-write and co-create their new take on Dracula, which is based upon the classic novel by by Bram Stoker. It's unknown if Dracula will follow in Sherlock's footsteps by taking place in modern times, but it will adopt the same production format used in the earlier series. This means that Dracula will be produced as a TV miniseries with feature-length episodes. Moffat and Gaddis haven't even even started writing or casting for Dracula as both men are currently working on separate projects. The duo are reportedly in negotiations with BBC to produce and broadcast the series within the United Kingdom. BBC's international distribution also went a long way towards making Sherlock a worldwide hit, so Dracula seems very likely to end up there as well. I really hope this dual broadcasts in Britain and the US, and around the world for that matter, rather than just BBC first and then BBC America later. It always works better when they're simulcast. Supernatural spinoff Wayward Sisters starring Kim Rhodes eyed at the CW. The CW is taking another stab at a Supernatural spinoff. This one built around Kim Rhodes' Sheriff Jody Mills. The premise for the potential offshoot, tentatively titled Wayward Sisters, will be introduced in a season 13 episode of Supernatural. Here's the concept. Sheriff Mills, played by Rhodes, and a group of troubled young women, all of them orphaned by Supernatural tragedy, will team up as a supreme monster-fighting force. Unlike the original series, which centers on biological brothers, Wayward Sisters is about a sisterhood of girls in a foster family. The project is being shepherded by supernatural writers and producers Andrew Dabb, Robert Singer, Phil Skigara, and Robert Behrens. Deadline speculates that two existing supernatural characters, Orphan Claire Novak and Runaway Alex Jones, could be featured in the offshoot alongside Rhodes. Back in 2014, the CW developed a sp- supernatural spinoff build as a sweeping drama about the mafia-esque monster families that unknowingly to humans run the underbelly of Chicago and who are being tracked by a newly minted hunter. Titled Supernatural Blood Lines, the project never made it beyond the backdoor pilot. I think this sounds awesome, but we'll hear from Michael and Tim next week on what they think when they come back to talk about their plans for next season with Supernatural. Sci-Fi orders George R.R. R. Martin's Night Flyers pilot. Sci-Fi has ordered a new pilot based on George R.R. R. Martin's Night Flyers. The project, which is based on Martin's 1987 novella and film, follows a group of scientists and a telepath on a space journey to find a mysterious alien that might hold the key to humanity's survival. But along the way, the crew members fall victim to terrifying and violent events that they can't explain. Jeff Bueller from Jacob's Ladder wrote the television adaptation, which Martin is not involved with. The show is looking to dive deep into George R.R. Martin's chilling world of Night Flyers, and the script that Jeff wrote encapsulates this classic sci-fi horror story and adapts it to a platform where viewers can truly explore the depths of madness. Night Flyers is the first pilot sci-fi has announced since the rebranding, which is part of the network's push to refocus more on actual science fiction. As long as this doesn't interfere with Winds of Winter's release, which it shouldn't since George is supposedly not involved in the show, then I'm all for this.
Downton Abbey movie in the works, filming tentatively slated for 2018. Less than two years after the Crawleys bade farewell to their international audience, a plan is in motion to reopen the doors of Downton Abbey. There's a movie in the works, Michael Edelston, president at NBC Universal International Studios, told the Associated Press this week at the opening of Downton Abbey, the exhibition in Singapore. It's been in the works for some time. We are working on getting the script right. Then we've got to figure out how to get the cast together, but we're hopeful to make a movie sometime next year. But getting all the original stars back together could be easier said than done. Many cast members from the British Import, which aired statesides on PBS from January 2011 to March 2016, have already gone on to other projects since the show wrapped production. Michelle Dockery, aka Lady Mary Crawley, is now st- stirring up trouble on TNT's good behavior. Dan Stevens, the late great Matthew Crawley, is headlining FX's Legion. And Brendan Coyle, who played John Bates, is cleaning up on the Esquire Network's Spotless. Regardless, I love this series, so I'm hopeful we get to spend and one more time at Downton Abbey. Star Trek Discovery premiere date is at long last announced. Nearly 20 months after initially getting a green light, Star Trek Discovery finally has a launch date. CBS announced on Monday that the long-delayed reboot will premiere on Sunday, September 24th at 8.30-7.30 Central on both the network and its streaming arm, CBS All Access. Subsequent episodes will premiere every Sunday only on CBS All Access, with the second episode available the same night as the premiere. Meanwhile, Discovery's 15-episode rookie season rollout will be following the Walking Dead model, with the first eight episodes running in the fall through Sunday, November 5th, and the final seven episodes unspooling in the winter beginning in January of 2018. You know, it seems with every decision made with this series, like putting it on CBS All Access, splitting the seasons, and the next story's decision to move away from a hard and fast rule of the creator Gene Roddenberry, it keeps making me think that Star Trek Discovery will not work and will damage the legacy of the great franchise and history of this series. Again, Discovery will premiere on Sunday, September 24th at 8.30, 7.30 Central on both the network and its streaming arm CBS All Access. Star Trek Discovery will change a key Roddenberry mandate. When Gene Roddenberry dreamed up the series Star Trek over 50 years ago, it was with a very specific, very utopian vision of the future. In the United Federation of Planets, racism, sexism, xenophobia, and pretty much all of the prejudice had been eradicated, and the problems of the characters were always external rather than internal. This was a mandate from Roddenberry to his writers. The conflict can never be based between our main characters, with the exception of the occasional alien possession or something along the same lines, because in Starfleet, pretty petty squabbles are a thing of the past, or I guess the future past, seeing as Star Trek Discovery will repeal and replace this doctrine. This is a stupid decision, a- another in a long line of decisions made in the series. Showrunners Aaron Harberts and Gretchen J. Berg are getting rid of the conflict barrier with which Next Generation and Voyager writer Michael Piller called Roddenberry's box. This peaceful ambiance wasn't the case for every episode of every season of of every single Star Trek series, mind you, but it was always something for the shows to aspire towards, spearheaded by Roddenberry's firm beliefs about what humans will be in the 22nd century. But for today's anti-hero filled television scape, writers and producers probably feel like they need conflict because conflict is drama. This isn't the only big Star Trek staple of writing that will change in Discovery. That same Entertainment Weekly article talks about the new series being heavily serialized rather than the string of standalone 
Stone Adventures or two or three parters, ignoring the outlier that was Deep Space Nine's Dominion War. Because of this, the conflict will almost have to include internal struggles since we won't be counting on external threats like the Klingons and predicaments like that every week. I like the serialized aspect, but the complete lack of respect and understanding of what makes Star Trek actually Star Trek is yet another reason I don't believe this series will be successful, and I'm not so secretly rooting against it. I definitely won't be paying to watch it and will probably have to resort to other means if and when I do actually watch this series. And that disappoints me because I am a Star Trek fan. Anyway, that's the news with Nico for this week. Alright, with that we're going to jump right into the penultimate discussion of Doctor Who's Series 10 with the episode entitled World Enough and Time. The Doctor, Bill, Nardal, and Missy respond to a distress signal and find a colony ship caught in a temporal disturbance caused by a nearby black hole. While Missy deals with her past, Bill is altered to meet her future. You know, it was about three minutes into this episode entitled World Enough and Time that we really realized longtime showrunner Stephen Moffat was setting up his final story arc. The episode is populated with so many brilliant inside jokes and meta references for fans while getting to bring back villains from years past, ages past in some cases, and do several things that nobody in the series history has done to date. If that's not Stephen Moffat, I don't know what is. You knew this was going to be a crazy and amazing episode when it all starts with the Doctor regenerating, or at least previewing it anyway. Sure. Surely, given the uber poofiness of Peter Capaldi's hair in that scene, this opening sequence was filmed during the Christmas special taping, and director Rachel Talalay gives us tantalizingly little else besides what might well be the Twelfth Doctor's final moments. She really is a master director and one of the best that Doctor Who has to offer, and that is why she's directed the penultimate and finales for the last three seasons. But we'll deal with the real regeneration next week, or more likely in December. I mean, do we really suspect that in this day and age that a new Doctor has been cast and has been shooting scenes, including the Christmas special, and it hasn't been leaked? I, I just could not believe that if that's the case. But if it is, then we'll find out next week. Anyway, getting back to the episode. There are many excellent premises in this episode and they begin with Missy acting or pretending to be the doctor on a mission to prove to the real doctor that she could be good. Flanked by Nardal and a very reluctant Bill, Missy and Moffat putting words in her mouth breaks down so much of the Doctor Who lore and convention that I had to rewatch the scene a few times afterwards to get the full breath of just how funny and great that first scene on the spaceship really was. First she calls herself Doctor Who, which has long been a point of contention for many viewers and fans. You get most fans in the column of calling the character the Doctor, but the show Doctor Who, even though he was credited as Doctor Who for a long time, classic series producers called him Doctor Who, and even Capaldi calling his own character Doctor Who in a number of interviews over the years. Moffat throws all of this at the audience, making Missy use it both as a shorthand for the Doctor for the Doctor Who question that so many people ask when they first meet him, and an excuse to once again open the is-his-name-Doctor-Who debate. When Missy says, plus, it is 
is his real name, Bill reacts just like most of us with a, wait, what? So we have this hilarious debate about Doctor Who and the Doctor's name, but that's not the end of it. Perhaps one of my favorite moments in the entire episode came when Missy refers to Bill and Nardal as exposition and comic relief. On top of deriding the very idea of companions, she literally breaks down the exact function of most companions in the traditional sense. Nardal's objection and assertion that they are they aren't just functions is met with their genders, darling. Damn it, Moffat, <laughs> another bullseye on that one. Traditionally, the female companions are used for exposition, while the few and far between male companions have always been comedic relief. So freaking smart to include that here. Also, really smart in this episode was the fantastical science literate conception of having a 400 mile long colony ship slowly escaping the gravity of a black hole, which would mean time would pass much slower at the top of the ship than it does at the bottom. This allows for the Doctor to be literally years behind Bill when she needs him the most, and she's forced to watch months of him moving incredibly slowly as he figures out what's going on. While this harkens back to the Amy Pond episode, The Girl Who Waited, it does it much differently in execution, but the reference is unmistakable. After the shocking moment of Bill getting a whole shot through her chest, we have two realizations about the inevitability of what's about to happen. We knew from the promos that this episode would feature both the Mundosian Cybermen and John Sims' version of the Master. So when she's taken by cloth-faced invalids who speak using an electric co- electronic keypad, we're already realizing what, where this is going. But when we see her new friend in the bottom of of the ship were even more sure of the truth. After all, nobody should really have been fooled by the wig and the makeup and the accent. It's heartbreaking to see the scenes of Bill admitting she's afraid of Missy only for her only ally in the infirmary to be that person at a different point in his existence. By episode's end, we know the truth. The master signaled the doctor to come to this strange Mondosian ship knowing full well that what it would be as he wink winks and says the genesis of the Cybermen. This of course is a very direct reference to genesis of the doctor. Daleks, the episode which, after 12 years, showed audiences in 1974 where the Daleks came from and their creator, Davros. We've never actually seen the Cybermen's creation or their equivalent version of Davros, unless, of course, it is that scientist guy who fixed Bill in the, in the first place, though it's also possible the Master himself fills that function. We didn't get a ton of Master and Master action in this episode, and I think the earlier iteration's presence is to juxtapose a, a softening or goodening of Missy that with the ever-evil Sim Master. This is by far my favorite performance by John Sim on the show, so I hope that that continues into the finale. We've had many a multi-doctor story arcs in the annals of the series, but we've never had a multi-master story until now. And I think this is Moffat again pushing the bounds of what he can do. And so far, it's pretty brilliant. Don't forget, this is not Missy's first time with the Cybermen. In the Series 8 penultimate and finales, entitled Dark Water and Death in Heaven, also directed by Rachel Talley and written by Stephen Moffat, Missy founded 3W and began preserving bodies of the rich who believed their minds stayed conscious after death in tanks filled with dark water, which only showed the organic material, following Missy to convert them into Cybermen, supposedly exoskeletons to protect their bodies while uploading their minds to the nether sphere, a matrix data slice. There, she removed their emotions to download them back into their bodies in a Cybermen army of the dead. When Danny Pink died, the Twelfth Doctor and Clara found 3W and Missy activated the Cybermen and released them from their tanks in St. Paul's Cathedral. The Cybermen marched into the streets where they were greeted by curious onlookers before Unit arrived to confront them. The Cybermen flew off until one was 
was over each area of major population density in the UK, self-destructed and created a rainstorm of cyber pollen that went into the ground and cyber converted all of the world's dead. The doctor teamed with Unit to try and stop them, while Clara was saved by Danny, who was cyber converted but retained his emotions as he chose not to delete them and his emotional inhibitor was never activated. When Missy broke free, she had the Cybermen attack, but eventually Missy gave control of the Cybermen RV to the doctor, who gave control to Danny. Danny, who retained control even with his inhibitor, ordered the Cybermen to fly into the rain cloud and self-destruct, burning up the clouds and stopping conversion of humanity. It will be interesting if that previous experience, or perhaps possibly guilt from her actions, will influence Missy's actions in the finale next week. This week's episode was a great setup to that finale, and didn't try to ask too many questions it couldn't answer. The gut punch of Bill being a Cyberman is one we definitely saw coming, at least by midway point in the episode, but I think it's still entirely up in the air whether she'll remain one or not, though I don't really have strong feelings either way. Man, the Doctor Falls is going to be a massive Cyberman explosion next week, and I thought Death in Heaven was the most cyber action we'd get in the Moffat era. This is an amazing story, especially for one that Peter Capaldi had to convince Moffat to even do in the first place, as the Mondosian Cybermen are one of his two all-time favorite Doctor Who villains. I'd say it was a good idea to bring them back and mix them into a double master affair, and it's why Stephen Moffat is one of the best writers in television. And with that, we'll move into the closing to discuss what to expect in next week's episode. On next week's episode, we will wrap up the spring 2017 TV season with a review of Doctor Who's Series 10 season finale and some news with Nico. Also be sure to keep an eye out for Steve, Wu, Nikki, and the rest of the Marvelverse crew doing their Marvelverse podcasts and their coverage of the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universes. But for now, and the rest of the season, let's roll Dan's pre-recorded closing. Get at our Across the Airways podcast, Good Network website, acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways.com. You can check out all of our podcast shows, available as their own individual programs. Get the iTunes Store, get Google Play Store. Guys, for the podcast shows, Cutter Network, we have the DC Nation podcast, located at dcnation.acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's dcnation.acrosstheairways.com, which reviews popular DC Comics related TV shows and movies. There's also the Marvelverse podcast, located at Marvelverse podcast com. Again, that's marvelversepodcast.acrosstheirways.com, which reviews Marvel comics-related TV shows and movies. And we also have Thronescast, our podcast dedicated to reviewing episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones, which is available at the website thronescast.acrosstheirways.com. Again, that's thronescast.acrosstheirways.com. In addition to these programs, you can listen to the original Across the Airways podcast, which is accessible at acrosstheirways.com, which reviews TV shows not related to superheroes, core Game of Thrones, like The Walking Dead, Doctor Who, Star Wars Rebels, Supernatural, and more, including sitcoms such as The Big Bang Theory and The Muppets. Also, you can listen to Across the Airways, the DC Nation podcast, Thronescast, the Game of Thrones podcast, and the Marvelverse podcast, and the mixed radio station, Code by Jack Stifle, Stitcher Radio, or if you use Apple devices, download the Podcast Box app. And if you're on a Windows or Android device, you can download our apps from the Amazon Marketplace, and the Windows Marketplace, and a regular Windows or Windows Phone app. Because for how you can contact us to give your own listener feedback, got the TV shows we review, provide suggestions on how we can improve your podcast listening experience, or just want to say, do you like what we're doing? Email us at acrosstheairways.gmail.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways.gmail.com. Comment on our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter, got across their waves. There's no thought in there, it's just across their waves. Join our circle, got Google Plus, or leave us a voicemail by calling 773 809 373. Again, it's 773 809 336. Also, instead of us an email, please mention which podcast show you're directing the message to. Give the subject line, if you are sending us listener feedback you want us to read, on the air. I would also recommend that you check out our YouTube page, which
which features trailers for upcoming movies and television events. Go along with this content, the ATA YouTube channel is a great source for panels from past Comic-Cons, and it will be a great resource to find videos related to the Comic-Con taking place in San Diego this summer to go along with our Comic-Con special. Okay, so once again, for our other ATA podcast hosts, Nikki Amy, Wu Kim, Joshua Murphy, James Hafel, Steve Nostrom, Michael J. Petty, I'm Nico Reistek, and until our next episode, we'll catch you on the airwaves. See you guys, and thanks for joining us for another episode of ATA covering Doctor Who. See ya! Now return to our regularly scheduled program.